The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports NFL Podcast. I'm Katie Mox here with Will Brinson and Brady Quinn. If you haven't already, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTube page. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For those who missed the last episode, we looked at some of our favorite week one lines with JLC. And today we're going to discuss the depreciation of running backs with Brady Quinn and see who has the best odds for offensive rookie of the year. Fellas, welcome to the show. I am assuming we all watched the NBA Finals last night. Congrats to Denver on their very first NBA title. And uh, Jokic had something funny to say after. They were asking him about going to the parade. And he said no, that he wants to go home. And, you know, Instagram and Twitter is freaking out. People are saying he's boring. People are saying he's rude, that he doesn't respect the fans. I think it's hilarious. I I love this. Like, I I love this as a performal former professional athlete because it's so relatable. Like people tend to forget (laughs) like this guy has been the centerpiece of the NBA now for arguably the past three years, winning what two MVPs. He's now won a championship. Uh, He's like Mr. Triple double. And guess what? He's like the rest of us. Like he just misses home. (laughs) Let's go back to Serbia. He wants to go back to his horses. I love it. Like I, I think more professional sports leagues need to embrace figures like this who aren't like all diehard about it and they're actually just who they are. And they're not afraid of saying like, wait, when's the parade? Oh yeah. You gotta be kidding me. Right. Like I just want to go home. Like, <laughs> that's okay. Like he also has a bunch of people at home that he wants to celebrate with too. So I loved it. I thought it was the most genuine thing I think we've seen in sports. And I also think it's one of the reasons why he's so successful is he doesn't make it more than what it is. Like he's the type of guy that after he's done playing, I'm sure he's going to move on and he'll be he'll be okay retiring. He's not going to be like pulling a Brett Favre where, I don't know, I think I should come back and play again. I'll strap it up again. Like, he's not going to be that guy. He's going to be like, I'm out, probably going to go back to Serbia or somewhere else and hang out. 
Your voice sounds better than I thought it would, Brady. Um, but could you, <laughs> I know you could you hit with? Well, basically, what you were like, you're like, um, toast, man. Could you hit us with a Now I'm done, real quick, just while we got you with the Bears here. I probably I sound like you back in the college days after a yeah, long on a, on a Sunday. Yes, yeah, like, I, 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 I am a little bit under the weather. Uh, I, I I could blame it on recent travels uh, or my kids. I will not do that. Uh, I don't know what exactly caused this because it's it's been beautiful outside, but. Bottom line is, I'm playing. I sound like Will Brinson back in his NC State days, <laughs> uh, pulling off an, an all weekend bender, uh, coming into class <laughs> in the morning, or 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 me on a Sunday like Sunday podcast at an NC State home game, like we like when we beat Notre Dame in that hurricane. Uh, yeah. Anyway, oh. I, I think that the, I think that the thing with Jokic, <laughs> it's a little bit like Brooks Kepka, right? He's like, I'm not. I, I mean, not in the same sense. I, you know, like Brooks is just like, I don't love. I don't love. Like, I don't love golf. You know, like, I don't love golf. Like I love, like he likes other stuff better and that's okay. It's, it's okay. Not to like, you don't have to be like, well, we won. I, you know, I mean, of course, Joker's probably going to get drunk at the parade, but the dude would like, he'd like to go home. Just like everybody would like to go home. Yeah. And play with his uh, horses, right? He let, he'd rather yeah. bet on horses. And and I think horse racing is his I mean, what actual kind of- passion. I was going to say, like, what kind of horses does he even ride? I know he's got a passion for, like, horse racing and all that, but, like, he's so big, he'd have to be, like, on a Clydesdale, right? I mean, like, what what normal horse could he ride around that would that's actually, actually – That's actually where Bob Baffert is. Jokic just hired him to roid up his horses <laughs> enough so that he can actually ride, like, they can be strong enough to carry the, the reigning, the two-time MVP – and now world champion. And if the horse test positive, they'll be like, oh, some in the water there in Serbia. You know, we don't know what's going on. <laughs> the old, old Davo Sweeney, like, I don't know what happened. Um, Did y'all see way, that the, the last game that was in Miami, though, that Conor McGregor punched out? And it was a bit punched out the mascot, which what is his name? Flamey or uh, I, he's got a weird name, but he punched out the mascot. It was a little bit of a bit. And the mascot actually had to go to the ER just for pain medication though. Oh yeah, here it is. What I don't understand is one, there was an additional, like he hit him. He went to the ground that he hit him again on the ground. <laughs> that yeah. didn't look like that was part of the spit. Uh, I'll first start off by saying this though, as we take another look at it, um, did anyone know the Miami he had a mascot? Cause I was unaware of this. I, I did not. Um, I know that. Oh, Oh, but it's this yeah. one right here. Watch Oh, that's in the throat, dude. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, none of this mascot, let's just like Bernie. His name is Bernie. Well, you, you know, in Ace Ventura, when, um, when, or Ace Ventura Pet Detective, when Jim Carrey punches the uh, Eagles mascot, right? Like there's a giant, giant head, right? He smacks the bird in the face of the Eagles, Dolphins, hypothetical Super Bowl. And, but like that's like a big, you know, like it's there's a protective layer there. This is like almost like a little tiny like hat or like hood that he's wearing on his face. <laughs> he got smoked. Like Brinson, I think he may have been a, dragged out. Who's a mascot that you would like to punch out? Ooh. Um <laughs> you got real timid. I know I want to punch the the Ramses, the Tar Heel mascot. I would smoke that thing. Oh. Really? I mean, not because yeah. I think he's a terrible mascot. He's a pretty solid mascot. But I mean, like, just my personal. I like to punch that little leprechaun of yours. I like to punch the Tar Heels. To punch that priest that you guys always after me, Lucky Charms. By the way, we we did make a we did make a um 
we take you speaking of how close Notre Dame is. Like we took a party bus from Chicago to South Bend. It's not. I mean, it's just not that far. Uh, no. At that point in time, I did want to punch that leprechaun. I'll say that. I'm sure you did. You're all yeah. boozed up knowing you. I could see Will, Katie, like slapping Ralphie, which is the uh, the the Colorado <laughs> mascot on the ass before <laughs> runs out. Like I could see him getting that that mascot hyped up. Um, that's such a tough question to answer. I know. I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of punchable mascots. Personally, I think the Stanford tree is the stupidest mascot there is. Mm, I would so agree. I, I, I don't get it. Like, I, I don't really understand it. I don't, I don't really need to either. But that's the one mascot that I think just out of precedence, you probably want to just, you know, go after. Yeah. I mean, look, the, I was- I, I'm sorry, I was going to say, like, the Ace Ventura scene, like, I always think about that. And, like, I'm not saying, like, maybe you can make it a different bird. It doesn't have to be the, it's not like, it's, I mean, it's not the Eagles per se, but, like, you just see he gets that full, like, fist and just, like, wallop, it gets a one, two punch on that Eagles mascot and then just tackles him. He's like, he's like, you just cost me 20 grand, Polly. And just, whoa, whoa. God, such is my favorite scene. Okay, we're going to move on, but I will say I was a San Jose Sharks fan for a very long time. And the, the LA Kings mascot, I don't know what his name is, but he's a lion and he is extremely antagonistic. Like, I don't know if you've been to Kings mm. games in LA, but they are extremely antagonistic to the other fans. And so he's one that I would probably punch We've out. Got a great crowd. LA actually has great a great crowd. hockey community and great crowd there. So, yeah. I think I got a bobblehead Thank last you. time at the Kings game. Oh, fun. Who'd you get? Uh, I don't know. I didn't keep it. I think I, I gave it to my brother-in-law. We met out, we like went to dinner. My other brother-in-law was playing. Um, uh, and then my brother-in-law that, you know, that I'm, I'm married into, he's the one who went to the game with me. And I think I gave him the extra bobblehead doll. You just have a, a sports family. Is there anyone in your family married or just birth to you that is not a sports superstar? Um, birth to me? <laughs> I don't even want to answer that. I think you mean blood relative. In your immediate family, yes. Birth to you. So <laughs> do, you do you have anything? Do you have anyone birth to you, Brady? Like, <laughs> your wife, you, your brother-in-law, you just mentioned a hockey player. <sighs> yeah, yeah. My my, my uh, brother-in-law married my little sister is, is internally playing in the NHL. So yeah. Got, any, a, uh, got any gymnastics scoops for us today? Yeah, well, you're a, <laughs> you're an insider. Hashtag Brady and trouble. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. I uh, I was watching you know in some Instagram videos uh, with my daughters. We were really excited about watching them because we're a big fan of that particular athlete. And I might have jumped to some conclusions. <laughs> so it was, it was public and it was out there. So maybe I got a little ahead of the game there. So. Okay. Well, we were so happy to be a gymnastics uh, scoop podcast here last week. All right, guys, let's talk football now. Are running backs a depreciating market? Dalvin Cook got released. Saquon Barkley hinted he could potentially sit out this entire season. He has not signed his franchise tag. Josh Jacobs playing under the franchise tag. But there's a chance that Vegas could rescind that tag. Uh, Brady, what's going on here with running backs? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this now for, I don't know, probably the past few months and talking about this particular year too with the running back market. And, and usually what's odd is like this comes to light when you get a combination of veterans not being paid the long-term deals that they want, but then also not seeing the same amount uh, or seeing a number of running backs being drafted in the first round where teams are just saying we can find guys second, third, fourth, or even in late rounds of the draft. Isaiah Pacheco is going to be this year's example after what he did for the chiefs last year. So usually you see that conversation then. 
What's interesting about this past year's draft is you had two guys taken in the top 15 and both guys who, and we'll get into the discussion, but you know, could potentially be up for rookie of the year um, because of the, the way I think both teams could utilize them. So you have this disconnect between, you know, what veteran running backs feel like they have earned throughout the course of time playing and what they're worth moving forward. And, and that's really the disconnect is, you know, for running backs, it, it, we may be living in a world with a few exceptions, right? Like you get your Christian McCaffrey's, your Alvin Kamara's, um, you know, Zeke Elliott, which is a very unique case. Uh, but other guys who are able to utilize in the running game and the passing game as truly like a dual threat style of player. But outside of those guys, like your traditional bell cow back, you're just you're not going to see them be able to get to a second contract. And it's almost like, you know, those guys really see their greatest amount of money they're going to be compensated or paid be at the front end and what they can they can make as a draft pick potentially. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be really, really hard to make the type of deals they're looking for. So uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, obviously, running backs, we all know, have a huge impact. Um, but you can make the case because the way the games evolve will. I mean, it's a passing game. And unless they're catching the ball a bunch out of the backfield, too, they're probably not going to be receiving top dollar what they think they're worth. You also, I mean, as you pointed out, like, you know, you can find guys in later rounds that, I mean, you know, we can make it, you can make a, a deeper dive argument about the, 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 necess, the necessity of the NFL salary cap and whether or not it's like owners preferring to keep. Can I ask you this real quick, though? Because yeah. we use that argument with only running backs. Yes. We don't use it, though, when we apply it to wide receivers. We see all the time wide receivers that aren't necessarily drafted in the first round come out and be able to have, you know, production and so forth. Um, and now, now you could maybe use that argument with other positions. Like we don't see a ton of like really, really like day one rookie year, great offensive lineman come in that won a first round pick, maybe second round pick. Like it seems like that specific position we look at and we say like, yeah, like unless they're an ungodly talent like Bijan or Jameer Gibbs, we just feel like we can take in the later rounds. And we get better value out of them that way, but we never apply that to any other position we're talking about. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's because the shelf life of running backs and the the way that sort of analytics have and it's not it's not like heavy analytics. It's just NFL running backs don't last Nerd. a long time. Nerd. Um, but like you, so there's certain value. There's certain touches that have been shown analytically that impact the longevity of an NFL running back's career more than other ones. For instance, if you pound somebody up the middle between the tackles fifty times versus throwing a swing pass, 50 swing passes, the guy who's catching the 50 swing passes is taking a way less of an impact on his body, or at least the percent chance that he's taking way less of an impact on his body than the guy running between the tackles. Now, part of that is who you're being tackled by. Part of that is what you're, the, the, the possibility of incidental contact and like a, you know, like a lower leg injury, something like that. And just sort of like the physicality of that brunt, like that blunt force in that short area versus a running back who can catch the ball, like Christian McCaffrey, catch the ball out in the open space, make some moves, and then duck out of bounds, right? I mean, it's just, you're just going to take more hits. And so that, I think, is part of the problem, too, where if you have a running back who is more of a pass catcher, it's pretty rare that they go really early in the draft. Like, McCaffrey's like an exception, right? Where a guy who's that size um, to do that, like, you're just going to, you're never going to see like a Darren Sproles and Austin Eckler type, even though they can run between the tackles, go that early. And so I, I think there's just, it's the guys who are the feature backs. I mean, hell, Derrick Henry went the second round, right? Like that's, I mean, that's, you know, it's crazy. And you, we, and we saw how big, we knew, we knew his production in college. 
it's the guys who are the feature backs are dinged because they don't catch the ball, but they're also dinged because they run up the middle and you know, they're, they're the longevity of their careers are just not going to be as long. And so that's the issue. I think you also look at twofold, right? Like a running back, probably even as productive as they can be. There's so many parts, right. That, that allow a running play to be successful. And a lot of it's the blocking, the scheme, you know, maybe how the coach is able to, to formation things to get angles or to get the defense out of position to be able to have success. So there's even times too, I think there's a degree of, yes, it takes more time to practice and get right. Like anyone would tell you, you only have to have like three things go right for a pass play to work, right? You also have to get the shotgun snap with a snap from center. You have to be able to throw the football and have someone catch on the other end. That's it. Yeah. Like you can have a tackle whiff on a block. As long as the throw gets completed, doesn't you matter. Can, you can complete a slant with like with with no offensive lineman in theory. Like if the guy yeah. gets up, if you get like, it works, right? But in a running play, it's really, really hard. If not everyone up front's executing, you get some blocks on the second level too. Clearly the snap, so we gotta get that, have a good exchange on the handoff. You need a lot more things to happen to go to work well. And so I'm not saying that that's like a case against how that makes this argument, but I think what happens is it, it gets a little bit muddied as far as like who deserves the credit for the success running backs have, because you do have offensive lines that when you tend to invest in them, they tend to be offensive lines that they can run the crap out of the football. The Dallas Cowboys were one of those offensive lines that whether it was Zeke, whether it's Tony Pollard, whether it's whoever you want to put in that spot, like they all seem to be able to have some production behind that offensive line. So it, it ends up taking away from the production and the value of some of those running backs because you can put another guy back in there as long as he's fast, he can see the holes, he can figure out how to cut back and understand, under, understands the scheme. You know, he's going to be capable of doing that as well. So come t- to your point, I, I think they kind of like, it's all about where you want to put the value and the money that you have. And I think they just don't look at the running back position as being as valued unless you're truly a unique talent, um, which I think a lot of people would make the case Dalvin Cook is. And, and maybe there's some concern with him because of, you know, his health at times and, 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 you know, his longevity and how that will play a factor. But it is surprising. Like more of these guys aren't getting longer term deals, which, by the way, I always have to say long term deals. Right. Is outside of a quarterback, which, by the way, a quarterback, even guys who get five, six year deals, it's like three years of guarantees, then we'll see. And so, like, a long term deal for a running back is like two years of guarantees, yep. and, then, and then we'll see, regardless of the length of the contract. So, it, it is funny to hear, like, the well, they're not getting this long term deal. It's like, well, they, if, they, if they sign the franchise tag, they'll be, they're basically getting one year less in guarantees than they would be otherwise in a long term deal. Correct. So it's like a five-year deal is essentially a three-year deal in the NFL. Four-year deal is a two-year deal. And like, you know, it's, there's just, there's all kinds of dummy years built in the back end. Uh, I would note that. So uh, if you had to guess how many teams do you think last year, it's actually higher than I thought were like above 40% uh, run. Like there's a, there's a, there's only one team above 50% run. 49ers. (laughs) No, 49ers were 46%. They were above. Yeah. But they're 46%. Falcons probably ran the most of anyone. Falcons, that's right. Fifty-one percent. The only team above fifty percent. The only team with a greater rush rate than a pass rate last year. The Bears at forty-eight percent, but you got to factor in Justin Fields running yes, that. What do you do there? The Panthers at forty-seven percent. Atlanta, probably Carolina, Chicago, Seattle, typically. Seattle, um, Seattle was not up last year. They probably weren't up there as high because of Geno in the year he had. Yep. But traditionally, they've been one of the the sure. you know, higher winning percentage teams. 
which you know again you could say like is that philosophy going to work is it, is it successful i mean you're doing that because you're i mean they have to make a choice right if you're throwing the football more you've got patrick mahomes you've got josh allen you've got joe burrow you've got someone you feel really confident in aaron Rodgers, tom brady etc lamar whoever you know but lamar is unique because he's got that also dynamic ability running the football but even they are evolving and changing right like i don't imagine todd munkin's going to run lamar Jackson as much as they used to run him so um, I, I think that's the hard part too, is like, if you're putting all your money in your quarterback and the guys to protect them, guys to catch for them, how much are you really going to be spending on a running back then? If really you want to be throwing the football about 60% of the time. Right. And that's what I was getting at. It's like, now that the league has gone to 60, 40 minimum, or basically on average 60, 40 in terms of pass to run ratio, you just, you're not going to see teams investing in running backs as much as whites. The interesting, like kind of counterpoint to this too, is if you draft a running back in the first round, you could organizationally say, and no, you wouldn't want to do top five, I don't think, but let's say top 10 or top 20. You say, we're drafting this guy. He's going to play out his contract. We're going to pick up his fifth year option and we're going to franchise tag him once and then we're just going to let him walk. And like you could tell, I mean, you don't tell him that ahead of time because he's, he's going to want a deal after, you know, when he's eligible. But like that's not the craziest way to approach it if you have a true like feature back. But even then, you end up in a situation where, you know, Josh Jacobs is like, they, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option, but he's Miff, right? They're not going to – I don't think they'll rescind his franchise tag. They, you know, they, they don't have the depth chart at running back to, to do it personally, um, I don't think. But, like, Barkley wants a contract, right? I mean, all these guys who perform really well want the contracts, and it's it becomes a case where because running back is so fantasy football-centric and so popular with a fan base that it's difficult to walk away from a running back in some of these spots. Look at Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon. I mean, all these different guys who – it's it's difficult for who the fantasy football player no, 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 for the no, I'm saying like there's pressure on the front office to yeah. because he's a, the, the running backs are extremely popular with fans. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that. I mean, I don't know, Katie. Do do you think? I mean, okay, take for example, Katie, your favorite team, San Francisco. Now you guys yes. got Christian Caffrey, but San Francisco has been known to like have multiple running backs all the time. I mean, are you that upset when a running back moves on, especially when you got like Christian McCaffrey or whoever's next? I mean, hell, half the time you guys want Debo Samuel to run the football. Whoever's next, Christian, Christian yeah, McCaffrey. Well, obviously, next. there's always people that you love. Like Frank Gore is my favorite player of all time. So I was sad when they decided not to keep him. And, you know, when Mozart moved on, that was, yeah, of course, you like your players, but it's, but you, I understand. If Christian McCaffrey leaves, that would probably be the biggest heartbreak because he is, like we've said on the show a million times, a Swiss army knife. Is that the no. solution? Brady, are running backs going to have to be more versatile like a Christian McCaffrey to get these more long-term, right, in quotes, deals from teams? Is that where the uh, running back market is going? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a mis mismatch league, right? Like everything you, you go about game planning and what makes people excited is when everyone else in the division has to like basically have personnel stop that guy right so whether it's like the defensive tackles whether it's the linebackers that can match up in pass coverage you know you force the rest of your division to go oh crap how are we going to handle this twice a year um and, and you force the people in the rest of your conference to deal with that so yeah that that's part of it i, I would actually shift the conversation to another direction because the question then becomes like if it's about well they've got wear and tear on them um that's why people don't want to um invest into these guys longer then i would argue they need to change the rules then allowing running backs to come out of college sooner yes so instead of making it you know after three years removed from high school someone needs to go back and look at it and say maybe it should only be a year maybe it should be two years 
you know, maybe you should allow guys like Maurice Follett, who first tried to do this, you should have allowed him the opportunity to go in the league sooner. Now, granted, you know, I, I know people are going to look at how that worked out and they'll say, well, you weren't going to make it anywhere or whatever stupid argument people make uh, because they, they don't really understand. But like Leonard Fournette's an example of a guy who after his freshman year, we watched him at LSU and we all said, that guy's going to go to the NFL. And, and he didn't need to run and do anything else the rest of his college career. And, and instead, all he did was <clears throat> have to probably take out insurance in order to protect himself and pay for that until the day he actually got drafted. And, and so, you know, when you, you hear running backs who, you know, are, are splitting carries in college, they're not even upset about it. At least most running backs that I've talked to, they don't care because they're like, dude, great. I've got less wear and tear on me. As long as I showcase I have the ability to do so and I'm a dynamic player, I'm going to get in the league. And once I get in the league, if I show out, like that, that's all I need to do. So um, I, I think that's, a, that's, you know, people have talked about like running backs need to have a different union or something or – um, you know, people talk about how the union needs to protect them. It's like, no, that's not really what the union's designed to do. And you can't you know, like differentiate running backs from everyone else. What you could do is change when players can enter into the NFL. And again, this is getting into a much longer conversation because, you know, we could talk about the XFL and spring leagues and, you know, they lost what 60 million this past year. And it's like, okay, well, when are we ever going to have a spring league or developmental league that lasts that works? And the only way of doing it is expanding the rosters, expanding practice squads, and then having a spring league amongst, and this could be an interesting idea, mm-hmm. relegated teams mm. during the NFL season. Wow. So you force them to have to have this kind of like relegation league in the spring that ends up being twofold. It provides us entertainment, but it also provides development at the same time. So right. hey. Roger, Roger Goodell's on. Do you say, do you say entertainment and money and TV contracts? <laughs> so there you go. There's an idea for you how it could all work. And instead of having the rock, do you smell what the rock is? I mean, he's he's got 60 million. He's losing right now. Like that's a drop in the bucket for the rock, though. Buddy. I know that's true. Although if we see him have to be in like two more movies, we're like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. He does like uh what was the one where he dresses up yeah. as like a, yeah. Yeah. a babysitter too, or like or like whatever, like the a babysitter. Oh, I know what you're talking about. With um, he's like, brother, he's like the rocks in a tutu, and he's like, yeah, it's like yeah. whatever, whatever it was. He's like, it was like, it's like a sequel to that, and it's like, all right, that's the the US the the USFL thing or the XFL, which one of those is really hitting him hard. Yeah. Okay. All right. On that note, we are going to take a quick break. Coming up, did a first round draft pick take a shot at the goat of college football? As always, make sure you smash that like button, subscribe to our YouTube channel and comment on this video. And also you should check out the All Things Covered podcast. Get access to a pro football hall of famer like you've never seen or heard before. Our friends over at the All Things Covered podcast chatted with a normally shy Steelers legend, Troy Palomalu, on their most recent episode. And it's one one you don't want to miss. BMAC and Pat P uncover all sides of Troy, like the ultimate competitor yearning for respect from Pittsburgh legends, the guy who rarely got mad, but when he lost it, he really lost it. And the sneaky prankster on the Steeler sideline. Catch the Troy Palomalu conversation wherever you find podcasts and on the All Things Covered podcast YouTube channel. You're watching Pick 6. We'll be right back. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They say patience is a virtue. But for some things, we can't wait. Welcome back to Pick 6. Katie Mox here with Will Brinson and Brady Quinn. Fellas, Jameer Gibbs seems to be enjoying the NFL a little more than he maybe enjoyed Bama. He said, with Saban, we're probably hitting every day, full pads, in the heat for two hours. Here, we get work in, but they don't try to kill us. He did. Uh, Brady, one, what do you make of this? And what's really the difference between college practices and the NFL? Because I would think that the NFL would be tougher, but not according to uh, Gibbs here. No, it, it, it's not. I mean, it's maybe tougher on you mentally as far as what you're tasked with uh, being aware of, knowing uh, the changes that you make week to week, especially in season. Uh, and sometimes you'll just, you know, especially even in game, draw stuff in the dirt or make some changes kind of on the fly where it's a little harder to do that at the college level, given what you're asking young men to do at that time. But um, look, here's the hard part about it, because look, he didn't get recruited by Nick Saban, you know, initially. Right. Mm -hmm. He's transfer. He comes in there for a year. Obviously, you know, he's, he, they, he had a lot of success as being a first round pick. They highlight him, but he got a dose of what it's like to try to survive in a culture and a team that's trying to stay on top of college football. Cause Georgia's had their number the past couple of seasons, along with some, maybe some other teams, you know, making ground on them. And that's how Nick Saban likes to do it. But Nick Saban has been very successful doing it. I think there's a certain element too, of having to, kind of build some grit, some catalyst, some toughness at the college level, where especially today, and you see this more and more, you know, kids are kind of anointed based on their star ratings when they get there. And they really haven't done or accomplished anything. They just beat up on the kid who happened to play, you know, tackle, for example, that's never going to play football again the rest of his life and segue into some other career. Yeah, because they were so dominant doing it, they're a three-star, four-star, five-star kid. It's like, let's pump the brakes. In college, you start to really find out what you're capable of and develop into that sort of player and prospect. So there's probably a fair amount of like, hey, this kid looks good on tape in high school, but so do a lot of kids. We got to put him up against the best that we've recruited and see what he's capable of. So I, I get what Nick Saban does and is trying to do, and a lot of other coaches have the same mindset. But an NFL practice is entirely different. I mean, there's some coaches who are like, it's all about like the risk reward and they want zero risk. So everything's almost a walkthrough or they're never in pads. They don't hit anymore. And that's changed a lot over time. You know, it didn't used to be like that. There were times where coaches would punish you in the NFL and you'd be in pads on a Wednesday instead of, you know, being in shells, which is just helmet, shoulder pads, shorts, uh, or just, you know, shock vests and your, and your helmet and all that which is really kind of like t-shirt and shorts and helmet. So, 
you know, there's coach who would punish you in that way and be like, all right, you want a reward, like go win a game and then you won't be banging the next week. So it all varies, but it's not surprising to hear someone speak out. I'm just, I'm surprised. It's like Jameer Gibbs, a guy who was like just with Bama, just with Nick Saban and a team who, you know, obviously has had a ton of success. The, um, the other thing too, is like, you now see Sean McVay, uh, Brandon Staley both do this. No preseason whatsoever. Although Brandon Staley, oddly enough, like played his guys in a meaningless game in, in week 18. Uh, but the point being is that I think coaches have sort of look around and see how, to Brady's point, risk reward. If you play your guys in preseason, if you run them hard in practice, not only are you going to risk injury, you're going to risk the possibility that these guys might be like, like go up against a team that isn't, you know, that's going to come in fresh. And, you know, like, and, and so I think, I think that's a, you're also dealing with professionals. And then when you talk about the depth, you know, professionals versus amateurs, you know, young, you know, college kids who are typically going to be less inclined to, to get, to do what they're, you know, the, the younger kids are going to be less inclined to do what they're supposed to do when they're not there in order to be ready for the game. And then the other thing too, Nick Saban, if he runs Jameer Gibbs into the ground and Jameer Gibbs gets hurt, well, guess what? There's another five star right behind him at the NFL. You don't have that. You, know, you don't have that. Like, you know, you look at Josh Jacobs, they ran him into the, pre- the preseason late. Like, they played him the hall of fame game in the second half last year. It's like, dude, if he gets hurt, you got nobody else. Everybody thought they were cutting him or trading him because of that. Do you feel like sometimes the, like this seems like a shot at Nick Saban, which is maybe a little bit different, but sometimes these rookies start talking to the press and they say things that put a huge target on their back. Like what was it? Justin Fields in preseason a couple years ago that said, Oh, this is easier. I don't know what he said. And then he became like target number one the next week, this kind of comment to be like, Oh, it's not that bad. Is that something where people are like, Oh, I'll, I'll make it bad for you then. You know, it's called a rookie mistake for a reason. I mean, like, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that that that's part of it. I think that plays a part and a role. And look, I mean, Will said the formula earlier. I mean, you draft a running back in the first round, you're going to use the crap out of them. So, yeah. yeah, they might be protecting him now in practice. Yeah. But when you get into the season, like, dude, they're at 17 games. You're going to be a lot of touches, yeah. a lot of catches, a lot of carries. I mean, that's what they're expecting out of you. So, it, it I mean, look, you just want to get to get to the season as healthy as possible. Like the last thing you want is someone getting hurt in practice? That's literally just, or even outside of that, you know, an OTA is this time of year where it impacts your team. But NFL practices are as difficult as you want to make them. So, you know, some teams don't even condition, right? So, like in between, you know, periods where maybe you're involved, maybe you're not, you know, sometimes because again, the roster size is smaller. In college, you might never see the starting defense the entire week because everything's platooned. So you have a scout team you're working with on offensive defense and you're in several fields the whole times. Now, sometimes you have some competitive periods in the NFL. It's not like that. You know, you've got some, you know, some guys on offense who are going to have to play or backups on scout team and service the, the starting defense and vice versa. And so you're kind of, you know, mixing and matching throughout the course of, of practice throughout the course of the week. And every once in a while you have some good on good periods as well, but usually not that often during the season. So, in order to make it harder, like you've got to condition in between drills. You've got to take it on yourself to get in more throws, get in more reps, and do the things you need to do if you want to make it a harder practice. So I'd say that's the biggest difference in the NFL is it's a big boy sport. Like basically coaches are there to help you understand the game plan, go out there and execute, but ultimately you're responsible for getting yourself ready for the game. In college, 
it's entirely different. Like, I think you go to college and like you learn how to actually learn, you know, like you understand like how you absorb information, how you apply it in class also on the, on the playing field too. And so those coaches are kind of there molding you more than when you get to the NFL where they're more kind of there to help just facilitate like what you're capable of and help you get to that next level. Well, and it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense too. If you think about it, like in the NFL, you are a paid professional. If you, if you continually show up and fail to do your fail to execute your job responsibilities and fail to like do the stuff off the field to be ready to for game day, to be ready for your job, your bosses are going to take notice and you're not going to get paid. Like you every in the NFL, you're looking for that contract in college. You're like trying to grind through class. Like you've got classes, you've got football, like you're doing all this stuff as you know, as an amateur and it changed a little bit, obviously with NIL, but you know, you're there's, there's just the, you look at college coaches too, and you see the guys who do it, like the Nick Saban types who have the heavy structure and the, like the, you know, the, they just, it's, it's more of a grind than it is in the NFL, where again, everyone is expected to show up and be professional about their job. And that's the other last thing I say really quick, sorry, is, you know, at, at the college football level, it's, you know, there, there's, there's two elements to it in my mind. It's making sure you feel like your players know what they need to do in order to execute and I also think there's an element of coaches needing to see out of the players what they think they need to see in order to feel prepared to go win. In the NFL, it's entirely different because you can have the worst week of practice and you get in a game and someone balls out. Or you have a guy who's like not even able to practice and is a game-time decision, hasn't done anything all week, and he goes in, he plays, and he's a superstar, right? Like the, the, It's so different in the NFL. So there's – you know, as a head coach, I think you kind of have to be able to be like, hey, man, I know if he's there, he's a gamer. We're going to use him if, if he can make it. If not, no big deal. I don't need him to practice during the week, right? And so there's just an entirely different mentality, I, I think, for head coaches in the NFL to feel good about things going into a game as compared to college coaches. Like college coaches need to be like, man, we had one hell of a week of practice, all right? <laughs> <laughs> We were just banging, and there were sparks and stuff flying, and we are ready to go. And then you roll out on a Saturday and, and lay an egg, right? Like, that's just how it works. Um, but in the NFL, it's like, it's a big boy's league, man. Like, work hard, play hard, whatever that guy needs to do to get himself ready. We've heard about other star players and some of their pregame routines and, and, and the way they would go about preparing themselves to play. That's real. Like, I, I knew guys who had, let's just call it unconventional ways of preparing themselves to go play. And those guys were studs and they were very good. So like you didn't question it. You're just like, do whatever you need to do to go out there and play and play well. Well, I would say too, the, um, you know, with the, we're talking about the union, the union has made a difference in terms of how these guys approach it too, because the there's, there's no union in college football saying you can't practice as much. Like off season activities have been shrunk back a lot from the last 15, 20 years. And as such, you know, under these new CBA rules, you know, you see like like Robert Robert Sala canceled voluntary you're like off season like or the mini yeah, camp or whatever. Yeah, I mean yes and no though. The NCA is limited a lot sure. of really what can happen. And and look, the universities don't want to be abused by that with social media and all the stuff that's going on too. That is not as as egregious. Now the ability for players to hit, um, that's yeah. been adjusted and changed. And so there's a little bit more discretion on the coach as far as how they want to do it. But I, look, I've also had coaches tell me this. They're like, the last thing I need is a player to not be in full pads and then something happens where they get hurt, where a pad, something would have stopped like a deep thigh bruise, something would have stopped, however however it works out. 
And the other thing is, is like you really, and if you ask a lot of O-line coaches, D-line coaches, they'll tell you if you're not in pads, it's kind of hard to get real work done sometimes, you know, like especially for those guys. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's varying opinions on that. And at the college level, look, you are, I mean, you're in a developmental sport still, like you're even in the NFL to some degree. So you need that time kind of hitting and banging in order, especially for the big boys to continue to develop their skills a little different for skill players. Let's uh, look at some odds for who's going to be immediately successful in the big boy league, right? Look at some offensive rookie of the year. And it's interesting because we were talking earlier about the veteran running back market struggling at two running backs went top 15 this year in the draft. Uh, one, do you think this will be a growing trend? Maybe not based on what we just talked about. And who has your money right now to be successful in the big boy league? I'd lay a bet on every quarterback. I mean, I just, yeah. I'm not betting on running backs. I mean, Bryce Young, yeah. CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, like all these guys are going to be, in my opinion, week one should be week one starters. Bryce has already been announced and it's a quarterback driven league. Like I just, if, if any of these guys plays decently well, they're going to outshine a running back. And especially if you're, um, you know, in, in Bryce Young's shoes, I mean, I just, I think he's going to go in there and light it up. I think he's I think he's in a good spot and good position to be really successful this year. And Stroud's going to have some ability too with some of the guys they've got coming back with Mechie, you know, getting better and now being able to, you know, play a factor in all that and some of the pieces they've got down there in Houston as well. So I love Anthony you, Richardson at plus sorry, 900. Go I was just going to say, I was looking at him on, shout out to Caesars though. He's at plus 900 here. Other books have him as low as plus 600. Yeah, I was... Yeah, I was just looking at the um, so since the new CBA came along, I mean, just for you know 2011, you go back and do it. If you went back in 2013 instead, if you wanted, um, we've got Cam Newton, RG3, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert. So five quarterbacks have won it. The wide receivers won it the last two years Garrett Wilson and Jamar Chase. We also had Odell Beckham in 2014. I think when you look at those production. Uh, one last year, not a very good rookie class. Just, I mean, like a, a good rookie class, but not like an insane rookie class. And Garrett Wilson had a ton of yards, and there, there, there were no good. There, it was a really bad rookie quarterback class. Excuse me. And so I think that's your that's your example there. Jamar Chase leapfrog Mac Jones at the last second in 2021 uh, with that monster game against KC in like week 16, I think. And then Odell Beckham remember missed like the first four to six games in 2014 and came on, had the catch, had an insane season. The Giants made that run, and so. When you look at the wide receiver market, I'd rule them out. I wouldn't even mess with the wide receivers. You, it, it's going to take a special, special season for the for a wide receiver to do that. We don't have a true alpha in this class. You look at the quarterbacks who won. Again, it could have been Mac Jones. Herbert had an insane season. Kyler Murray, Josh Jacobs had a better season. And Kyler Murray still beat him out. Dak Pre Zeke Elliott probably had a better season than Dak Prescott. And Dak Prescott still beat him out on the same team. Cam Newton and RG3 had, had monster years. So you look at it and quarterback is most likely to win if a quarterback is, is successful. And if the team is successful, because you look at those teams, like RG3 went to the playoffs. Dak obviously went to the playoffs. Uh, Herbert, I think uh, his rookie year, they win they might have won five or six games. They didn't win a ton, I don't think. Kyler's team wasn't good and, and, and Cam's team won, won six games. But like you don't have to win a ton of games as a quarterback to win this award. You basically have to be top three or top five in rushing in the NFL in order to win rookie of the year if you're a running back. So for for my money, I mean, I think it, I agree. It's it's the it's the quarterbacks like Bryce and C.J. Stroud. Bryce in particular is in such a good spot in Carolina with a bad division, uh, a team that is not you know number one overall pick bad around him, and 
you know, this floor that he's got, even at four to one, I think is a pretty good value. He should really be the favorite in my mind. I was surprised looking at these odds. I really was. And that's why I was like, I, I'd lay money on Bryce Young and CJ Stroud right now. Um, and, and again, but it, but it speaks to, I think, the anticipation of like how much Atlanta is going to use Bijan Robinson, which is interesting because, I mean, at some point, you want to see what you have in Desmond Ritter. You've got Drake London. You've got Kyle Pitts. You'd have to think that like you're, you're going to have to throw the football more. You can't keep running at the trend or the clip, at least they were last year. The other thing too, if you look at these guys, the, the quarterbacks that won, um, you know, we had, uh, you know, we had what five hundred forty-four yards rushing for Kyler Murray, his rookie season. Obviously, Cam Newton and RG three had historical uh, rookie years. Justin Herbert had two hundred thirty-five yards rushing and five rushing touchdowns as a rookie, and then Dak. Uh, with the Cowboys that in that year in, in 2016 had 282 rushing yards and six rushing touchdowns. So Anthony Richardson, nine to one, not a crazy idea. Like if the Colts I win six it. or seven, six or seven games and he has big rushing numbers and looks like a freak athlete out there, even, you know, you have to be concerned about the passing accuracy. Like he could, he could definitely get there. So I would probably go of these probably go Bryce and Richardson, uh, I don't hate Stroud because I, I, I really like the Texans. I, I just sprinkle on all three quarterbacks and see. And I think you probably come away with the winner in one of those three. Sprinkle. Sprinkle. Sprinkle on the quarterbacks. All right, let's uh, talk about D-Hop again, right? Because what else is there to discuss when it comes to free agency at this point? So we visited with the Titans, did not commit. Now he hopped, D-Hopped over to the Patriots. Titans seem to be pulling out all of the stops now. Do you think that this is maybe a bad luck on Traylon Burks, former first rounder from a year ago that the Titans have been saying is doing well? And, you know, they think that he's going to have a better year. I think it's twofold. I think they feel like he's doing well, but maybe he's not ready to take over as that that number one spot like they had with A.J. Brown. Um, and so you bring in DeAndre Hopkins, who is that guy, especially uh, when out there playing, and you add in Traylon Burks. It doesn't put as much pressure on him. Tannenhill's very capable of throwing the football around. It eventually gives Will Levis a veteran target to throw to that makes things easier on him. Uh, and obviously, you still got Derrick Henry in the backfield. So to me, I think it's a move of like, all right, People thought after the season, maybe they're in rebuild mode. And anytime you get a new general manager, that's the initial thought. But it almost feels like more of an arms race for the division, in particular with the Jaguars. Like, hey, we know Trevor Lawrence is emerging. We know they get Calvin Ridley this year, too. And they've got all these playmakers. We need to add someone as well if we want to keep pace. And let's run you know, the wheels off this thing while we still can. Like, while we still have Derrick Henry while we still have a quarterback like you know, like Ryan Tannehill, who's a competent veteran who can get it done, and if you know, if it's not him, it's obviously going to be Will Levis for the future. So um, I think that's more the play behind it. But I would love to see DeAndre Hopkins uh, in New England, and I, it's like back with Bill O'Brien. I don't know if that's like a good. Yeah, Jason Lockerforce said yesterday they hated each other in Houston. At least that was what was reported, right? I mean, a lot of things get reported on the outside. Only they, only those two know. I mean, he traded him. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know that. Time heals. At the end of the day, you could almost, you could honestly say you kind of did him a favor because he got yes. paid in Arizona. And obviously, with how the way things worked out in Houston, it wasn't like that was going to be a good spot to stick around in. So it uh, actually, at the end of the day, worked out best, I, I think, for DeAndre Hopkins. But playing under Bill Belichick in that system, uh, just adding like another superstar to the AFC East 
And plus, I think it gives Mac Jones some legitimate help. Like you, it's like you're almost trying to make up for what you did last year by Matt Patricia as the play caller and, and not really having as much help. Now you get Hopkins. Now you get Bill O'Brien. Now it's like, okay, sorry, Mac. Like we're trying to make up for what was last year. Uh, by the way, um, according to Michael Irvin, do you remember this? Remember this cut? These comments, Michael Irvin. This is like back in um, like 2016. You're like you've gone back that far. No, it's 2020. After the Hopkins trade, um, Michael Irvin said, he's like, he said he talked to Hopkins. He said, uh, basically, Hopkins told Irvin that, he, that Bill O'Brien thought Hopkins had too much influence over the locker room. And he called him in a meeting to hash it out. And this is how, again, Hopkins is telling, he said, he told DeAndre Hopkins, he said, hey, the last time I had to have a meeting like this, it was with Aaron Hernandez. So maybe, maybe a little <laughs> bit of bad luck. First yeah. of all, too much influence over the locker room, clearly in like a, a negative way, because you would want one of the leaders of your team to have a lot of influence over the locker room if it was positive. Um, yeah, so, that's yeah. like yeah. reading in between the lines there, you know, like probably. And, then, and, now, and now DeAndre Hopkins did tweet and said, this is being blown way out of proportion. I've said before, I've enjoyed him and proud of my time with the Texans. I have the utmost respect for Coach O'Brien. That will not change. Now I'm ready to play for the Cardinals rather than being traded and being paid. Hold on, though, but again, like he got paid. He went to a place that ended up going to a, a playoff game as compared to a franchise that like literally after he got traded away, went in a rebuild mode, started to fall apart. The Watson stuff came out, right? If I've got the timing of all this. Yeah. I mean, you could honestly look back in retrospect and go, Bill O'Brien, like, did him a favor. No, Bill O'Brien definitely did him. Yeah. He got paid crazy money from Arizona that he wasn't going to get in Houston. I know, but think about this. Now maybe you got the Patriots want to break out, you know, a little extra too to break him off. So it's like, I don't know. Like, sometimes you got to be careful about reading too much into thinking like, oh, they had a bad breakup. It's like, well, not really. He got paid in Arizona. Now you might be getting paid again to work together. So you got to be careful how you look at this stuff. Sure. You could also have a bad breakup and get over it and then be amicable later. I mean, it has been a couple Can years. You? Sure. <laughs> Is that yeah, possible? Well, I guess it, it depends on uh, the person. So, okay. So if we look at the Titans. I thought you were like, let's take a break. And when we come back, <laughs> one of us won't be here. Who will it be? <laughs> oh, no. Wow. Yeah. No, let's but if we look at, Who won't you know, back for that break? Either the Titans or the Patriots, when you look at the odds of the AFC South or the AFC East, does this change your mind on the division at all if D-Hop goes to one of those teams? I really thought we were going to get to like dive into Katie's social life, like what's happening, going on, but I'm a little disappointed now. That was kind of a buzzkill now. The I mean, I would rather put my uh, – I think I'd rather back the Titans with yeah. Hopkins. Like they, they, it, yeah. Hopkins would shift the Titans' odds substantially more. You know, like he, right. um, well, just because like the Titans can catch the Jaguars. I, it's hard to fathom a, a situation where the Patriots beat. Doesn't Derrick Henry own the Jaguars? Yeah. Jaguars. Yeah, he does. Um, the Jaguars. Like, no, the Titans, Jaguars. I mean, the, Brady and I are right. Jaguars. I don't think the number is going to move that much with Hopkins signing, like maybe down to 350. Uh, it shouldn't be much more than that. Jaguars up to like 150 or something like that. Uh, the Patriots 10 to one, they would move down maybe uh, nine to one, maybe with the Hopkins signing the bills, the bills and the jets won't budge off that though. We've seen the jets kind of climb back up. And obviously yeah. we know this podcast has single-handedly moved the bills from 135 to 125. <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah>. Thanks <laughs> to the Brinson guy. model. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Quick question. 
Yeah. So what moves the line more in the AFC South? Does it if DeAndre Hopkins signs with the Tennessee Titans or if I guess this is for future years or would this be for this upcoming year with the Jacksonville Jaguars potentially playing Play Daytona the Speedway? Does that start this year or the following year? I, I think it's the following year. No way it can be this year. I'd be awesome if it was. Would you think that'd be good? I feel like that would be hell on earth. It would be so <laughs> hot down there. Hot, it'd be awful. It'd be miserable. It's like fans would be 40 miles away. All right. I would love the fact that you get some NASCAR fans who are like, <laughs> I'm here for a damn race. What is going on? Yeah. I'll tell you what, this is a problem with America right now. They're playing football in Daytona. Yeah. Why aren't they in race cars, Ted? Yeah. Where's Billy? <laughs> Where's Bobby? Where's Bobby? Where's Bobby? I'm Bobby. Yeah. We're going to take one more break. We're taking one more break. Coming up, Brady reacts to some NFL vets who played hooky from mandatory minicamp. You're watching Pick 6. We'll be right back. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. And how about this? Get ready for nonstop action that will have you say, You gotta be kidding! Oh my, Canada. What a play and what a finish. That's a pretty good football, eh? He's gone! It's the Canadian Football League, Friday on CBS Sports Network. Welcome back to Pick 6. I'm Katie Mox here with Brinson and Brady. All right, so we have some players that skipped minicamp. You got Daniil Hunter, Lawrence Guy, and Saquon Barkley. However, Saquon Barkley is not under contract. He has not signed his tender yet. Uh, Is missing mandatory minicamp a big deal? I mean, it says mandatory, so I think it would be a fairly big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's the only thing that you actually uh, will get fined for as far as like what you're contracted to go to. You can get up to a, a six-figure fine. We should add Ste- we, we should add Stefan Diggs to this list. I don't yes. actually think Barkley can get fined for this because he hasn't signed his tender yet. Yeah, Katie just said that. But um, but but for the other players, Daniel Hunter, Lawrence Guy, not Diggs if he's there. What most players will do when they have like what's called a hold in. Yeah is they'll basically show up and say, I'm here, I'm present, I took a physical, I'm not doing anything else. And most teams will oblige that. And even for guys like Daniel Hunter and Lawrence Guy who miss it, who will get fined because they are under contract and they want a new deal, most teams will wipe that away too when they do the new deal. So it's really not that big of a deal. I think the only thing that you miss out on is if you're a younger guy, you know, and you've got a new offensive install, for example, um, you know, that's going to be what you're essentially going to be doing again once you get to training camp. Like OTAs, minicamp, it's the exact same install schedule as what you're going to have when you get to training camp. It's just a review of what you did. You might have some wrinkles and some additions here or there, but for the most part, it's the same thing. So it, it's it's not that big of a deal at all, but you like the guys to be there. And for the players, like your agent's usually telling you, hey, the only way to get their attention is to not show up. And you have to you know take a risk and not show up during a mandatory portion of this where you will be subject to fines, but if we get a new deal, we'll get that wipe clean. Yeah, and the, the I feel like it's like the, wipe your social media of anything team related, uh, and the then worst. don't show up. Or the uh, that's the twenty twenty three mode. 
Well, and I came, I feel like Greg Rosenthal might have coined the Holden before. I mean, maybe it was a player who did it, but like I remember him writing about it on NFL.com a few years back when it first started to be a thing. It, it really is what people have decided to do under the new CBA because the the, the in 2011, remember Darrell Revis, the king of holdouts, uh, you know, managed to like find you know find his managed to find a way to like would skip you know skip and demand a new contract. We get a new contract. We covered. We covered the, and maybe it was even like after, maybe it was later in 2011 when they really started to crank up the, the fines for it. But, you know, we covered these holdouts like crazy. Like it would be a big thing. Now it's a, it is the hold in. I mean, that's what, that's what these guys do. They show up and they, as Brady points out, they, yeah. they don't practice and they're there. They're letting the team know that they, they don't want to deal with having to negotiate that part of the fine. They don't have to negotiate that, like the deal with negotiating the fine when they figure out a way to do a deal it's also twofold. It's also an act of like, Hey, I know we're not in a good place together, so I'm not doing, I'm not doing crap out here, Yeah, but I'm here. Yeah. So I'm trying to give you an olive branch. Of, the gap a little bit. Yeah. Let, let's try to like figure this thing out. Now, the one thing too, that not that it's a big deal, but it does put pressure on you in most cases. This is why I brought up Stefan Diggs because Stefan Diggs, he was present Monday, took the physical was there in the morning. I believe Tuesday didn't practice. And and Sean McDermott comes out, makes his comments about it, saying that he you know wants him to be there. Of course, all coaches wanted to be there. But here's the key about missing mandatory minicamp and doing what he did: you force the coach and potential general manager talk about speak it, speak about it. Yeah. Whereas if you show up as a player and a hold in, you also have to kind of go and talk about it because it might get asked as well. And so it, it puts pressure on both of you, even though you're not out there doing anything. Whereas if you're not there. It puts pressure really on one side, having to address it and figuring out how to manage this moving forward. And sometimes that can be indicative of the relationship, either the relationship between the player and the team slash coach slash, you know, offensive coordinator slash GM or whatever, or, or, the, or, or the agent. Yeah. Or, or the style of the team in case, because they may simply say, all right, Saquon, you are, I mean, uh, excuse me, uh, Stefan, you are, uh, you're, you're, you can't practice because you have a, a toe injury. You know, or something like that, and you just we're holding him out because he has a you know he tweaked his tweaked his knee or something like that, and you can and he can just sit on the sidelines and show, you know and, and just hang out. You know, what I was thinking of would be by the way a great marketing skit for Stefan Diggs for like anything that he wants to pitch coming out. And like no one's really tapped into like remember the old Family Matters with Steve Urkel where like the cool version of him was Stefan. Oh yeah, yes. Stefan Diggs needs to figure out some sort of marketing scheme to play off like a dorky Urkel side of things yes. and then play into the whole Stefan name into that as well. That'd be a dope marketing scheme. I like that. I think that's no, really good. That's no a good, that's a good TJF call. Yeah. I just think some of a free idea. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, you should get some kind of commission on it if anybody takes it, but no, uh, no just pay that crap forward. All right. I got enough, I got enough okay. going on. <laughs> that's true. Well, you talked about the locker room a little bit in terms of like newer guys or rookies not learning some, you know, new plays or whatnot, but nobody wants to get involved with other people's monies and nobody wants to get involved with contracts. But it, is there ever like a little bit of a sour kind of taste in people's mouths when these things go far? Well, that's the tough thing about Stefan Diggs, who's unique to the other guys, is first to answer the initial question, no. No one's getting in the way of money. Like no, no one's gonna say anything. No one cares. Like every single guy's like, get paid. You know, like that's my guy. Like you get back. Usually they're expecting a big dinner. They know they might get nicer gifts at the end of the year. So <laughs> there's not as much of like uh, a, a, a really like ill will. 
But with, with Diggs, it's interesting because he's gotten paid. He's got a contract that really limits them for being able to trade him. Will can probably sort through the details, but it puts him in a tough spot where like you're wondering, okay, why is he not participating in this? Is it does he want to be somewhere else? Because that's gonna be tough to do. Is there some, you know, frustration with how last year ended, his relationship with Josh Allen? That's the tough part of figuring it out. Um, and that's where, like, if you're Sean McDermott, you lean on Josh Allen here to try to bridge that relationship between those two and, and try to make sure like those two are in a good spot. Uh, and look, maybe they are, maybe they are, and maybe they have a good understanding, and Josh knows exactly why Stefan's not there. And maybe it's because he is filming an incredible marketing campaign where he's <laughs> on, you know, alter ego. Yeah, the uh, the de- the dead cap hits for a trade the next two years are pretty. It's pretty much a non-starter. It's really it's stuff you're not. You're certainly not going to cut him. Um, it would need to be like a trade, and like or like a restructure, and then a trade or something like that. I mean, I would think it has to do. It, to your point, Brady, it's either got to be like an Allen thing, a McDermott thing, a Ken Dorsey thing. Like this has popped up recently. You know, is it is it usage in Ken Dorsey's what Ken Dorsey's running, or is it or is it the realization that he's got two years left on his deal? He's got five years left on his deal, but really two years left on his deal, and he might hit the open market at like thirty two or thirty three. Like, does he want? Does he is he realizing this is going to be this is the I'm in my prime the back end of my prime ish. Right. I mean, he's 29, 30. Like, does he think this is his last chance to really get a big bite of the apple and renegotiate his contract? And he wants to do that before the season starts. Sure. Yeah. It could be possible. I mean, all all those things, it it could be a combination of things. Like that's the thing is usually it's a combination of things that like add up. I think for most players, it's never one like specific thing, unless there's just a big time breakdown in between like a, a key figure, whether that's the head coach coordinator, um, you know, quarterback, general manager, something like that. Well, and, and remember, Diggs is Diggs is a fairly mercurial like fellow. Like he, you know, in Minnesota, this same sort of thing happened before he got dealt to Buffalo. Like he, it, you know, maybe he's maybe he's one of those dudes. There's there's just people who like Jim Harbaugh, right? Like guys who yeah. need work, are going to work like X number of years somewhere, and then it's time to go somewhere else. You know, I he's going out of Michigan. He's won the Big Ten the last two years. But yet, it's his alma mater. He's decided to stick around there because he can't get NFL interest, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, everywhere else, it was like three years. I love Jim Harbaugh. I'm not knocking him. I'm saying, like, just sometimes, like, maybe Dave just just wipe the floor with NC State. Yes, they went to the the (laughs) playoff last year. No kidding. I would would cut off a whole foot to have Jim Harbaugh at NC State. Right or left? left. Pick right now. left i guess i don't know yeah because yeah, you got to drive with your right foot i guess yeah. you could learn teach your other foot <laughs> you, yeah, you only got one kid you got to figure it out at that point <laughs> i just think yeah. it'd be easier to keep the one that's exactly don't right. me. i actually drive with both feet i'll be honest with you are you serious yeah i drive obviously left you don't left ever accidentally hit them both at the same time like in a panic wow Never. is that because one of your feet is like busted up no, it has nothing to do with that. I just feel like I'm able to accelerate, decelerate, drive faster that way. I mean, any race car driver will tell you, you got to use both feet, man. <laughs> You're not a race car driver, pal. I'm just, I'm telling you, I could be. I still, uh, I think I could be too. That's, see, we should have that as a podcast topic. I'm, anyway, did, I did try to convince my wife when she, uh, because we talked gymnastics to begin, so why not use it to finish? 
I did mention to her that she should become a jockey after she got done. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure she tried to slap me for saying that, but then in retrospect, she couldn't reach you. <laughs> so, yeah, she got a stool. We, we looked at uh, the, the earnings that jockeys make, and she was like, oh. I had no idea. And I was like, Yeah, that's exactly why. Yeah. Thanks. Go be a jockey, lady. No, like, I can't morph my body into being able to be a jockey. No. You're already there. And she's yeah. strong, yeah. so she could figure it out. But she Took definitely maybe she could be a jockey for one of Jokic's racehorses uh Ooh. later in or the Brady future. Could be. Circle. Yeah. yeah. I, I just want to ride on the Clydesdale next to him. Just go grab a few beers with him, you know? That's all. <laughs> Slamming beer steins as you like gallop through Clydesdales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That actually sounds really fun. All right, that's going to wrap up our show today. Thanks for rocking with us. Rince and I will be back on Thursday for more off-season coverage. As always, remember to like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTube page. If you're listening to audio only, download, follow, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends to listen and watch the pod. We'll see you later.